The ability to light any situation at any time is one of the hallmarks of a great photographer. While working with natural light is always preferable on the wedding day, there are times when there just isn't enough natural light or the available light isn't very good. That's where being able to use off-camera flash can save the day. On this week's show, we're going to share how we use off-camera flash on the wedding day and share some tips and tricks for wedding photographers. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Once again, my name is Bruce Clark, and I am joined by one of my usual co-hosts, Mr. Brian Capricci. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are How? you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good. We're both doing better than Robert today. Robert's feeling yes. a little under the weather, so yeah. he can't join us today, unfortunately. Yep. But that's all right. We will carry the flag in his honor. <laughs> So this week, um, we thought it'd be good to sort of have a, a discussion about off-camera flash. And I think we can both agree, uh, you know, lighting's an integral part of being a wedding photographer. And I would say probably the majority of us, you know, we prefer, if we can, to work with natural light. Agreed? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say the look of natural light looks more natural, but you can do a lot with off-camera flash to make it look like natural light. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, there are times when, you know, situations where the natural light just isn't cutting it. And exactly. You, need, you know, you need to rely on artificial light to get the shot. So today, uh, we're going to share how we use off-camera flash on the wedding day. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the gear that we use, um, when we use it, and a little bit about how off-camera flash can help separate you from those who rely on working only with natural light. But before we get into the show, of course, we want to remind you how you can participate in the show. We've got a few different ways to interact with us. Uh, First off, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com. There you're going to find links to our show and all the other great shows on the This Week in Photo network. Um, And we put up a blog post that goes along with each episode. Uh, In that, we'll contain links to everything that we talk about, our picks of the week, all that good stuff. So be sure to visit the blog. Um, if you have a question or if you'd like to suggest a topic we could discuss on a future episode, uh, you can email us. Our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Um, or if you prefer using social media, you can just add the hashtag twipwed to your post and we'll periodically keep our eye out for those posts. And uh, probably the you know most active place where people are these days is our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just search for Twip Weddings or go to facebook.com slash groups slash twipwed and uh, sign up and join our facebook group lots of people in there lots of good discussions happening there people are suggesting uh, potential topics for the for the show and asking questions and so join us there shall shall you or shall we shall you that's bad. shall you join shall us, you? <laughs> join us please join us please <laughs> Well, without further ado, let's uh, let's jump into the show then. And like I said at the, the at the top here, we're going to be talking about off-camera flash for wedding photographers. And um, I, you know, I think you and I both teach off-camera flash. And mm-hmm. you mentioned to me that you you teach that. I I teach that as well. Um, and I think the ability to light basically any situation, you know, any situation at any time is kind of the hallmark of a, of a good photographer. Yep. Um, you know, natural light's great. We all love to work with natural light. Um, but anytime I see photographers specifically marketing themselves as a natural light photographer. I don't know if you think this, Brian, but I automatically think they don't know how to use anything other than natural light. That's kind of my immediate thought. Right? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's almost like they're, they're wearing it proudly that, that they don't want to try something that is a great technique and a great sort of tool to have in your tool belt. And I think that's really what it's got to be looked at, right? It's like, it's just another technique. It's almost like, when I see a photographer that has every shot that is very obviously shot at f1.2, it's like, okay, like good for you. You can have shallow depth of field, but that is one tool in the tool belt of a wedding photographer to make great images. And not every image should be shot that way. And I think just similarly, not every shot needs to be natural light. And even if you do need to shoot it um, or want it to look like it's natural light, like we said uh, earlier on a wedding day, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have any situation. You could have you could have rain. You could have overcast. You could have a really dark venue that you're photographing in. And if you want it to look as pleasing as possible, sometimes the natural light just doesn't cut it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've all probably been in, in situations. You know, I think if you follow a lot of the, I think one of the issues too is if, if you look at a lot of blogs and if you look a lot of the, you know, the wedding blogs and stuff like that, the majority, I would say, you know, 90% of the photography that's on there is this the light, airy, outdoors shot, probably in Southern California at, you know, 
seven o'clock at night or something like just before an hour before sunset. It's all the dreamy light, beautiful, which is, I mean, we'd love to all have that light on our wedding day and be able to work with that. Um, (laughs) The reality is that very rarely happens. At least I know at least up here where we live, we end up in dark caves, um, (laughs) really darkly lit churches. Um, You know, we have no control. We could be shooting in the middle of July at at noon, (laughs) Or we could be shooting in the middle of winter at, at trying to do, you know, shots at five o'clock and, you know, in the evening when the sun's already gone down. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's where having that, like you say, as a tool in your tool belt definitely is, is key if you're going to be a professional wedding photographer. I, I don't know how, I, I know a few good photographers who can manage. I don't know how they do it, but they manage to work without off camera flash and they, and they do amazing work. But for me, I just wouldn't feel comfortable going into a situation not having some lighting with me. Well, yeah, and, and again, it's just that idea where you don't have to use it all the time, but just having the knowledge of how to use it in the case that you need it means that you can do the best job for your clients because if there's not great quality of light, then you can bring that quality of light. Yep. So I, I don't think it's something that's like if you start using off-camera flash or you learn it that you have to go and use it on every single wedding. Yeah, there's many weddings I photograph where just the natural light is perfect for the day. And I have mm-hmm. no issues with that. But knowing how to use it then allows me to step up my game at those times during the day or during some wedding days that I need to. Yeah. So what would you say kind of on average, if you were to kind of survey all your weddings over the course of a year, what percentage of, of the day would you say that you pull some form of off camera flash out of the out of the bag and use on a, on a typical uh, wedding? I'd say, I mean, not a lot. I would say, well, for me, 100% of receptions are always off-camera flash. Yeah, me too. Um, and then outside of that, honestly, maybe 5%, like a very small percentage. Um, but yeah, I mean, 100% of the reception and, and being that usually my reception coverage is, you know, 30% of the coverage of the day, I guess that would equate to around 35% of my work, I guess you could say would be off-camera flash. Yep. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm about the same as you. Um, yeah. You know, we again try to, to work with the natural and available light through the, yeah. most of the day as much as we possibly can. Um, we pull it out two times actually, specifically um, family photos. Mm. I make a point of pulling it out just because typically if we're dealing with larger groupings, um, sometimes we need a little more depth of field, and sometimes it's just with the natural light that we have, it's just not. Yep quite enough. Yep. So I like to have just that little bit of fill, a um, little bit of fill flash just to kind of help pop them off the background a little bit and uh, make sure we've gotten, you know, we, then we can shoot it. Like you were talking about people that shoot weddings all at F 1.2. Well, <laughs> that wouldn't work very good if you've got a big group family photo right. to do. Um, <laughs> you know, you'd have grandma on the front nicely in focus and everybody else, you know, possibly out of focus. So, right. um, you know, that's where a situation where you might need to be shooting at F eight, um, yeah. you know, to get everybody in, in nice, clean focus right so we oh, like having yeah. that extra flash so that's you know that time and then obviously receptions is the other time when right. we will use a lot of off-camera flash and then sprinkled throughout the day if we want to get sort of creative and try some different thing, things with our couples that's when we'll pull it out but i'd say yeah. about the same as you probably about 30 well just as a 30%. quick like interesting note i guess about that with family photos you know because when we're photographing family photos we've got to be using a much higher f-stop number um, in doing so, we're we're um, decreasing the separation, right, of the background and the, and the foreground. So yeah. um, we're going to see much more of the background, whether it's a, a group of trees or a building or whatever it is. And so you lose that separation a little bit. But if you start to introduce off-camera flash now, you can create that separation through flash. Yep. So you can still have that really nice, you know, dynamic, really uh, separated look and still have everybody in focus as opposed yeah. to shooting at, you know, F2 to create the separation, but you lose the focus in that. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. So I guess, well, we already kind of touched on a little bit, but we talked about sort of what, like what situations would you use off camera flash specifically? So you mentioned receptions. So I, I think, you know, we'll come back and I want to get into detail kind of how you set up and, and yeah. light receptions, but, and, and I use it at family photos. Any other, um, would you use it during ceremonies? No, no, I, I won't use it during ceremonies unless it's in, um, like a reception hall mm-hmm. and they had their ceremony in the reception hall. So yep. if it's in that, like a lot of the times here, we've got like some really beautiful venues here where the couple will get, have their ceremony in one room and then they'll move on to the next room for the reception and cocktails yep. and that kind of thing. So usually for the ceremony there, I will have an off camera flash or two, but if it's in a church, if it's outdoors, um, anything like that, I won't use off camera flash for it. Cause I don't want it to be intrusive. 
But if it's in that like reception hall room with like the big fluorescent lights or like not very flattering light or a backlit window behind them, then I want to have it in there just to add a bit of punch. Yeah. Yeah. We're the same way as well. Like, again, we try to avoid it at all costs when we're in, you know, a place like a church or other venues or or outdoors again, because we don't want it to be distracting. But there have been once one or two situations where we've had to pull it out. Um, there's yeah. one church that we shoot in here. That's it's, it, it looks like it would have a lot of light in it and you go in and it's just, it's dark as a cave. Right. And then we had a wedding one time where there was also, there was a really bad thunderstorm outside and dark clouds. And so mm-hmm. it was basically nighttime right. um, outside. And so there was <laughs> hardly any available light in the church at all. And so we had to pull some flashes out. Otherwise we would have, like we would have been shooting at like 12,000 ISO. Right. Which I, I think, ideal, I think but. something else that is, um, is, is maybe just interesting to note uh, for the photographers listening is a lot of the times the assumption is that when there's not the quantity of light, that's when you want to pull out off camera flash, right? Like you, you say, well, it's a dark venue. Therefore I need off camera flash. And I think that's always the first assumption for a lot of photographers when they start to learn off camera flash. But what I've learned over the years, uh, in fact, it's funny because I remember the first workshop, my first introduction to teaching ever in photography was about seven and a half years ago. And the first workshop I ever taught was off camera flash. Cause I was doing this, you know, new off camera flash, which isn't really new right, but in our yeah. area. Everyone was like, Oh my gosh, how are you doing that? Right. And I, and I said, it's not really that complicated. So I taught a workshop on it. Um, and that assumption up front is always that when the quantity of light isn't there, use off camera flash to help you with that. But I also think that there's a lot to be said for the quality of Mm -hmm. light. So you may have a lot of light in the room, but if it's not very good direction or if it's a mixed color temperature, that's very weird and awkward. If it's spotty light, like little things like that, that have to do more with the quality of the light. I think that's just as relevant to look at when we're trying to decide whether or not we want to use off camera flash or not. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a common misconception that a lot of people think, well, oh, it's a bright, it's a bright room. Therefore I don't need off camera flash, but just because it's bright doesn't mean that it's good quality. That's true. Yeah. You can have like, I always, when I'm teaching the class, I always use the example of, you know, you've got the quality versus quantity. Yeah. You know, quantity at high noon in the middle of July is fabulous, but we would all agree that would be the, the you know, the worst time to go out and shoot if you right. had your choice of times to go out and shoot. Right. So I right. always talk about that quantity versus quality of light. Yeah. We talk about sunrise and sunset being when the quality of light is always the greatest. Right. But that's yeah. mother nature controlling that in the case yeah. of off camera flash, you know, you can place that light where you want it and then you get to control that quality right. with modifiers and you know, the power and where you yeah. place it and all these types of things lets you control that direction of light. Yeah. And like a similar example, I'm sure, you know, many wedding photographers can relate to the ceremony setup. Like I was mentioning earlier, when we photograph indoors in, in some venues, they always have this really beautiful wall of windows that, that, that will, they'll use as a backdrop for the couple, right? So everyone's looking into this beautiful wall of windows. So yes, the quantity of light in that scene is very high. There's a ton of light coming in through those windows. But I know that if I were to then expose for the couple who's in front of the windows, they're basically going to get completely whitewashed, which yeah. might be good in some situations. And for some images, I may want to do that, but I'm looking more for quality of light. And maybe I want to showcase what's out those windows. Mm-hmm. For example, in Niagara Falls, a lot of couples get married at this one hotel where they've got this beautiful wall of windows and it overlooks Niagara Falls. Right. So if I were to make every image for that couple where the background was completely whitewashed, which is what would happen, they would lose that connection, which is usually the reason they chose that venue in the first place. Yeah, they could have just got married anywhere, anywhere with a, yeah. with a white wall behind yeah. them, and it wouldn't have mattered, right? So exactly. Ah, that Niagara Falls. I hear it's just the tiny yeah. little <laughs> water thing. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, we have that too. Like here, a lot of people get married in the mountains, right? right. Places like the Banff Springs Hotel and the yep. Jasper, and they can beautiful. have some beautiful vistas and some beautiful views out the window. But if you're trying to balance the light, you know, again, you got to make that choice. Do I expose for the, the people or do I expose for what's outside? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you expose and say, here's beautiful photos of your ceremony, look at the mountains and isn't it all pretty, but you can't see the couple. You. Yeah. They're probably not going to be very happy. And conversely, yeah. if you can only see them and not see the beautiful background, yeah. you know, right. So that's, that's a, another situation where off camera flash kind of uh, takes away the, the need to compromise. Now you get the best of both worlds. You right. Can expose right. ambient light for the outside and then uh, bring the flash in to expose your subjects. Yep. 
So let me ask you then, what's your what's your gear setup look like? What do you what do you use for your off camera flash setup? Obviously, you're a, you shoot Fuji and Nikon. Nikon, yep. correct. Yep. So what's your gear setup, and is it going to change now that Nikon's released those new SB five thousand wireless flashes? Are you telling me about something new that I don't know about yet? You don't what is know that? about this yet? No. Oh, what is this? Wait they a just minute. announced I'm... at CES a new SB five thousand, and they're no adding radio. Um, yes, they are into the flashes. All right. About time they caught up to Canon, who's had it yeah, now for yeah. four years. Wah, 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 wah. But okay. you know that's okay. <laughs> they play this game, right? It's leapfrog for a long time. Totally Nikon is, yeah. sort of dominated totally. and and had the superior system. I will right. admit. They were the they were the kings, right? And then Canon upped their game finally a couple of years ago with the 600 right. series, yep. and now yep. Nikon's come out with the SB5000. So there All you go. Right. Well, that's something I'm going to have to look into. So my current setup is yes, I shoot Nikon and Fuji. Um, I use all SB900s as my flashes, and they work and, with both systems. Well, so uh, by default, no. Like if I were just to take an SB900 and put it on top of my Fuji, that would not work. Okay. But what I use is I use the Cactus V6 triggers. Okay. Um, and it's a wireless trigger that basically I put a um, transmitter on top of the camera. Mm-hmm. I put a receiver on the flash and it works all wonderfully. The reason that I like it and way back in the day, like when I first started, I used Pocket Wizards. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that I found annoying, and I know, I know that they've done a ton of improvements since then and I've just I've been happy with my cactuses, so I haven't even investigated it. But um, in order for me to switch my power settings back when I used the original power, I think it was the the um, the plus twos, the original, yes, one, yeah. right? So in order for me to, to adjust the power, I'd have to go over to my flash, the off-camera flash, bring it down off the stand, adjust the power, put it back up. Yeah, I always found that to be an inconvenience, especially when I'm shooting with four off-camera flashes at a reception. Mm-hmm. So with my Cactus V6s, I can actually control the power of all the flashes off-camera right from the trigger that's on top of the camera. So nice. I just create the groups for it and I say, I want this to be a 16th power. I want this to be a 32nd power and I can adjust it that way. So um, that's super convenient for me. I'm pretty sure that, um, uh, wow, now I'm drawing a blank. Pocket Wizards. Yes. I'm pretty sure the Pocket Wizards yep. now have an option that also allows you to do that. Am I am I correct in saying that? Um, well, they have. I guess they have the ones that will do the TTL. So they have the okay. newer ones that came out that support and do the TTL, and then they have something called the Zone Controller. Okay, that can then go on top of that. And it was a very. Really, I, I used that system for a short time. It's kind of complicated, is it, is it, it not? A little bit. It was a little complicated. And what I found on the Canon system was it was also very unreliable. Right. Um, it just it, it just didn't work um, some of the times like it would fire mm. sometimes and other times it just wouldn't work. And so I just found it just it was very unpredictable and unreliable. OK. Um, and then finally, Canon released their um, new speed lights that had the wireless right. and everything built into them. And you can control it so much uh, easier from right. directly from your camera, either from the, a flash or you can buy a transmitter unit. Right. And you can do it all that way. So there That's are nice. definitely, you know, uh, and, and like I say, there's the cactus, there's young yeah. Meow makes these triggers. There's a whole bunch of triggers now yeah. that are on the market that you can yeah. get. Um, you know, Pocket Wizard at one time, they were kind of the only game in town. Yeah. But then everybody else sort of caught up and improved upon what they had done and made it cheaper. So right. they've kind of, they lost a lot of ground, I think, in the last few years to other competitors and, and cheaper well, uh, products. Let me ask a question then, like with Nikon releasing the XB5000 and with Canon having the 600s, right? That's, yeah. That's what you got? 600s, um, yeah. So they've all got radio triggers built into them, which yes. is which is why, or a large part of why the entire radio trigger market existed is because mm-hmm. that, that was never built into the flashes. And there's still a need for, for the triggers for studio lights and for pro photos and things like that. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Do you think that that market's going to go down for the radio the radio trigger market? Uh, it depends. Uh, I think the one thing that's still going for those guys is you could still pick up a pocket wizard or a pocket wizard or a cactus trigger or a young now trigger and a manual flash from basically that's, anybody this is true. Right. This for is true. a couple hundred dollars and, and, mm-hmm. and have a kit and be ready to go. Whereas the, the new cannons and the new Nikon flashes, yeah, they're, they're, you know, five, six hundred dollars for, yeah. for one flash. And typically right. you need at least two. Right. Um, or a camera, a combination of a camera and a flash that can talk to each other. So right. it's not, you know, it's not a cheap investment. You know, this for one true. of those flashes, you could go out and get a manual, like a young now makes a flash um, that's actually compatible with the Canons. Mm. That's, that's for about $300. So you could actually go out and buy a couple of the 
the third party brands, right. um, three or four of them for the same price that it would cost you to get a Nikon or a, or a Canon flash. Right. So, right. but okay. you know, there, yeah, there's something to be point. said for the, for the name brand and, and sticking name brand as well. Sure. So it just yeah. depends on what your preference is. Yeah. I have a preference for the name brands. Now that being said, I recently switched my off camera flash setup about two years ago and I'm using, I have Canon 600s. The issue I found with them is they didn't recycle quickly enough and they just mm. didn't have enough power. Um, for me hmm. so i still have them they're in my bag right they occasionally come out if i need it's usually just if i'm in a situation where i'm putting the flash on camera and just bouncing it but for the most part now i have switched my flash system and i am now shooting with i'm going to show them for those who are watching the video i'm going to show them but i'll tell you what they are i'm using these guys now these are the uh, godox Oh uh, yeah, it's the Wistro uh, AD uh, six thirty, and these are a bare bulb. Um, oh really? Flash. That's nice. Now these guys um, run about four hundred bucks. Yeah, I just dropped the cover. Um, but they're about eight times the power of my Canon six hundred speedlights. Oh, so do you have a reflector you put on top of it then? To, you can put to, all to kinds of modifiers it. on right, this. Okay. So I have a softbox that can mount to it. Right. I have a bracket that lets me mount and put all my studio softboxes on it. Okay. And you can put, there's a reflector and you can put umbrellas and there's a bunch of different um, adapters right. you can get um, for these. So now, how do you trigger those then? So these come, I have a, a set of triggers that came uh, with these really inexpensive, okay. like 50 bucks. Okay. Uh, manual trigger. Uh, you plug in, it's a USB, goes on the side, and hmm. then there's a little uh, tr- uh, remote that goes on your camera. And then okay. from there, you can control up to, I think, 16 different groups. So you can control the power from your camera. Control the power from my camera. Really? So I can just go right in on the trigger and turn them down. It's manual only. There's no TTL. Yeah, so it that's... doesn't do any of the TTL business. It's all manual. Right. But I find that works fantastic for me. So at any point yeah. in time, I can set up three or four of these and control the power from my camera. I don't have to move. Right. You know, just, just as a quick note, maybe we, sh- maybe we should just mention that because I'm, I'm the same where I actually never use TTL with my off-camera flash. And, and maybe something, at least whenever, whenever I've taught off-camera flash to photographers, I always encourage them to do that first. Yeah. Because I feel like, and again, I know there's many photographers that do a great job using TTL. Um, with off-camera flash, the one off the top of my head already is like DQ Studios. Yeah. Uh, David yeah. Quinn, they do David an Quinn amazing do yeah. job with with what they do. And I think they use a lot of TTL with what they do. Yeah. Um, I always use manual because I know exactly what result I'm going to get. Um, whereas when you start using off-camera flash with TTL, it's like, well, what is it reading? Is it reading a window thinking it's the flash? Like it's, there's all kinds of things and you may not get the results that you're expecting to get. Whereas if you just use manual mode and you say set it to one thirty second power, take a photo, look at it. If it's too bright, then turn the power down. Yeah. <laughs> if, it's too, exactly. if it's too dark, turn the power up. It's, it's a really easy way to learn off camera flash, I feel. And then if you want to get into doing it a bit quicker, maybe TTL mode might be a good option. But I also would venture to say like for me, for example, when I get an off camera flash out, I can get my exposure really quick using manual mode just because I'm so used to it. Yeah, I'm the same way. When I teach my classes, I actually don't even, I explain what TTL is. And for those who maybe are new to off-camera flash or haven't worked with it a lot before, basically what TTL stands for, and Nikon has their version and Canon has their version and Sony has their version, but it's basically through the lens metering. So the camera sends out a, an initial sort of pre-flash that registers and it tells the other off-camera flashes, you know, how much light do we need on this scene? And then they fire. The way I equate it to my students is I say it's very much like running your camera in aperture priority, yep. where you're letting the camera uh, make the decisions. In this case, you're letting the flashes kind of make the decisions. Yep. And sometimes, it's, you know, it, it can work really, really well. The TTL systems can work really well. Particularly, I, I find it works well in situations where the distance between the subject and the, and the light is changing very quickly. Yeah. Where it would be, you know, if they're moving closer to the lights and further away from the lights very rapidly, and it would be difficult for you to keep up with that, to change the power and still get the shot, mm-hmm. then TTL can be, you know, it can get it right a good number of times. It's probably going to make the odd mistake, but it's, that is a situation where it might be quicker. But if you're in a fairly static situation, like if you're shooting portraits or we're doing family photos, or you've got a reception where you, you know, it's pretty predictable where the dance is going to happen and everything like mm-hmm. that that's where shooting in manual, like you say, is much more predictable and repeatable results. And I think a lot easier for people to understand. So when I teach, Agreed. 
I kind of, I, I explain what TTL is. We venture into it a, a tiny little bit, but it's towards the end once they have a, a full understanding of how their flashes work in manual mode. Right. So I think that's a key thing. To, if you're going to start learning off-camera flash, learn how to work them in manual mode first. And then, you know, once you're comfortable there, then you can go to TTL. At least then yeah. you have an understanding of what, what's happening. Yeah. And not yeah, just exactly. guessing, right? And getting random results and getting frustrated. Because that's the thing I often hear from students. They say, well, you know, I bought these flashes and I tried using them and I just didn't get any predictable results. So I gave up <laughs> and went back to natural light. Right. right. And that's why I, I hear that a lot from my students. So, right. I'm sure you hear probably similar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing, the biggest hurdle is I think everyone has tried it and they end up not having the success that they want to have with it. Um, usually either what I found from two things, one from being technical limitations, like they don't understand, they, they always try using the infrared receivers built in um, and maybe it's not working and they're just like, ah, oh, it's never working. And it's like, well, you have to point the receiver and the transmitter to each other <laughs> if you're using the infrared, right? Yeah. Or if you're using the triggers and, and already you can hear, even in our conversation here, it's like, well, there's this trigger and you have to get a transmitter and a cord for this and a USB for this. And you can control yeah. the power. And I think people get confused with the, the technical side of that which I guess is really just like anything in photography, right? I mean, there's going to be a learning curve, but I think even then once photographers get the gear set up and it's all talking to each other, they usually try TTL because they feel like it's simpler and then you're going to get potentially very inconsistent results, um, yeah. which will then lead them to think they're not doing something right. Yeah, it can be, it can be overwhelming because there's yeah. so many options out there now these days. I mean, technology has advanced so much in the last yeah. five or six years in this mm -hmm. area of off-camera flash and there's just so many... There's so many different manufacturers out there now right, and making right. all diff different kinds of triggers and things. So, yeah, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So sometimes you want to just strip it back to the bare, the bare basics, right? And get a mm -hmm. good feel for the bare basics. Um, totally. What they can do. So, okay. So you, you pack the SB uh, 900s in mm -hmm. your, in your bag. That's kind of your typical. And then you've got the Cactus V6 triggers. Like yep. I say, I have the Canon 600s. Um, and then now I've been, I've been carrying these, uh, Godox AD, um, 360s. The other thing I like about these is they also, um, they take an external battery pack to power them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So they're not as portable as just say a single speed light, but again, right. I'm getting eight times as much power. Right. So because they're so powerful, I don't need to run them very often. I'm running them at, you know, in manual, I'm running them at maybe a 16th or a 32nd power. Okay. Um, still gives me a lot of light and I can get through two, three weddings, uh, easily with those without having to charge them back up. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So very powerful, um, lots of battery power and, uh, just, you know, just good quality of light too. So right. they've even replaced in a lot of cases, my, you know, my commercial work and whatnot, uh, me dragging my studio lights out on right. vacation. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The other thing I'll, I use just to add to that, cause I do use the battery pack for my SB 900s. It's called the I think it's called the SB8A. Okay. Um, maybe we can throw a link to that in the show notes. But it's just a, the Nikon battery pack for their flashes. Right. And the external six, battery it, pack. Yeah, the external one. So it takes six double A's. Yeah. So in total, it, I have got 10 double A's powering each uh, SB900. And I've never had, like, and I usually fire them off for the entire reception at one eighth power or one sixteenth power. And so, what's and the advantage for those them. who aren't familiar with what that does? What's the advantage to having a battery, an external battery pack on? Right. The so, the advantage is one, it's going to increase your recycle time, uh, or I guess, sorry, decrease your recycle time. It's going to make it so you can fire off shots quicker. Right. So, if I'm photographing the entrances at a reception or speeches or dances, okay, if I want to go click, 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 I'm not going to have a problem with the recycle time on that. Whereas yep. if I don't have it, it's like click and then it's one click, Mississippi two. Yeah. yeah. You have to kind of wait. So the battery packs help with that, but also it just helps with the longevity through the evening. So if I'm photographing a reception for four hours without the battery packs, it'll start eating away at the battery and come the end of the night, it's, you know, recycling a lot slower and it's, it's not getting the full power out of it. So with the battery packs, it helps with both of those things. Yeah. What do you use for batteries? Do you have a preference? Uh, yeah, I use the PowerX. Uh, they're 2,700 milliamps. Um, I've, I can have a link to them, actually. I can give you a link if you want. It's yeah, just if the, you got a link, PowerX we'll put AA's. They're, they're low recycle, so I charge them all the night before. And so they kind of, they don't discharge themselves quickly. Yeah. Um, and they're 2,700 milliamps, so they're very powerful to begin with. Um, and I've had great success. I've used them for probably six years, the PowerX's. Nice. And every couple of years, I usually just recycle all my batteries because mm -hmm. photographing the number of weddings that I do and, and using the batteries as much as I do, they eventually lose their, their 
juice. Yeah. So every couple of years, in fact, this year I have to I have to go and get them all replaced. Do but it's just a good idea. Yeah. yeah, just a good idea just to kind of recycle them every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've had to do that with these once. I had one battery that came. I bought a few spares, and one of them came, and it just it was just a dud. It didn't mm-hmm. hold the charge long enough, and I just right. I ended up having to replace it, unfortunately. Yep. But um, yep. for my other flashes, I use the Eneloop batteries from okay. yep. um, Sanyo. No, Panasonic. I think it's Sanyo. Sanyo, Sanyo, yeah. Yes, yeah. Sanyo um, makes the Eneloop batteries. Okay. Um, same, similar to the PowerX ones. Yep. Same, same uh, I think they're the 2700 milliamp ones as yep. well. And uh, they're the ones that you can charge up and they won't drain. So you could leave them in yeah. your bag. Exactly. Supposedly for a year or more and they won't um, lose their, their yep. power. I, I, I'm paranoid about that. So I'm always like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah. I like to charge things <laughs> and make sure everything's charged because yeah. yeah. I don't want to show up at a wedding and be like, oh, my batteries aren't working. So. No. Yeah. The one- yeah, I, th- I think that the biggest, like the two things, like whenever I see this topic discussed among educators, it's always either the Sanyo Eneloops or the Maha PowerX batteries. Those are the yeah. two I always see recommended. Yeah. So I, I would say that you're, you're good to go with either of those. And I have the Maha charger. Okay. So yep. They make a really good battery charger because it yeah, can actually love- condition the batteries. Yep. Um, some chargers. Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're good because some chargers, the way they work is you put all your batteries in and once one battery is fully charged, it basically stops charging. Mm-hmm. Um, with these Maha chargers, they'll charge each one individually. You can recycle like re, yep. um, what do they call them? recondition them recondition them right yep. so it's they're pretty good chargers to have this if you're going through and those chargers hold eight batteries at a time yep. so you can charge a lot more a lot quicker yeah so i've got like i said i've got i've got four of them so i can charge 32 batteries like that, like that. yeah and they're yeah. not that they're only like what 30 bucks maybe yeah they're not very expensive bucks. They're not very expensive yeah. so they're a good investment if you go if you're doing yeah. a lot of this um stuff as well so the one advantage i will say to the canon flashes the nikon flash, any of those flashes is they do just take your regular you know, double A batteries. Yeah. So the downside to these, these ones is I have to have the batteries charged, plugged in um, and ready to go. Cause if they, if they die, I can't just swap and put double A's in them. Right. Um, So if you're, if you're doing a lot of destination weddings, you're doing a lot of travel, um, then that's where your other speed lights might come in. So when we travel or doing anything destination, I end up taking the Canon speed lights just because they're a bit lighter. Um, I can, I know I can put double A's in them and you can get double A's anywhere in the world pretty much mm-hmm. yeah. um, you don't have to worry so much about that so it just depends on where you're going and what you're doing and yeah totally all the rest of it so so that's the the flashes what um what other stuff do you like to incorporate into your off-camera flash obviously stands do you have any preferences of stands or? yeah i i just get the um the the manfrotto um what's the name of them it's it's the the light compact ones yeah they they fold up super super small it's nice and portable they're not heavy um i don't have the the uh, what's it called not like the not the air loaded ones but i don't have those ones are they air cushioned yeah i don't have those ones yeah um they'd be nice at some point but the ones i get i think they're like 80 bucks or 60 bucks or something they're not very expensive yeah. so and you're not putting much weight on no, top of the stand no, anyway with the speed no. light so the air cushion doesn't really for, yeah. for studio lights they're yeah. great right but yeah. for for right just a speed light you don't have to worry so much so you're not like you know carrying a lot of weight on right. the head of the, the right the light stand um, i have some of those too i find they're not sometimes not tall enough that's the only yeah, thing i, I wish think, sometimes i think mine go I, I think what do they go up to maybe is it 10 feet they go up to yeah about there Somewhere yeah there, yeah something like that yeah Hmm. Yeah, I bought, um, I have a few of those and then I just recently bought um, a cheetah stand. Oh, you did, eh? Yeah. And cheetah stand makes these great, it's an air cushioned one. It's not very heavy and it actually folds down pretty small. But the cool thing I like about it is it's got legs that when you, when you pick it up, the, the legs just retract. Oh, that's nice. like, And then when you, when you set it down, the legs fold back out. Right, right. They're awesome. So you can just, yeah. if I need to move it, I just pick it up. Legs collapse. Yeah, that's cool. Move it. Drop it, pop it down. So they're a really, really good stand. That's very cool. Uh, they were about $80, $90 US. So with shipping the US to Canadian dollar conversion right now and That's then duty like and everything th- else. $1,000 or so? About $1,000, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for, for those who aren't in Canada listening to us, our dollar is not performing very well right now. Right. Um, I saw a post the other day on Facebook and it said, look, the new uh, US quarter. And it was... Right. Or what was it? It was, yeah, it was, it was a new American yeah. fifty cent piece or something, and it was yeah. the Canadian dollar one dollar yeah. coin. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's doing, not doing well. Yeah, nice. But yeah, that I love that stand. It's really yeah. good. And then yeah, I have a couple great. of bigger um, air cushion light stands that I okay. use with my studio lights. Yep. 
but I use those because I like those because they're tall. They, right. they go up to, I think, about 16 feet. So right. I can really get a light up high if I need it. Right. Yeah, I use um, also in addition to that, I've got um, two sets. Well, I guess I got a whole bunch more than two, but the Honol, um, like the Velcro strip mm-hmm. and uh, all the modifiers that you can have with the Honol stuff. They're, I mean, and again, these are just things I've been doing the same off camera flash setup for probably seven years now. Yep. I bought all this stuff back then. And I just haven't had a need to change. Um, there's some great companies now like MagMod make some amazing products. Yeah, I know like Larry and or Lanny and Erica from Two Men, they use yep. the MagMod system. Yep. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. But um and, and even from that, there's there's more. I think even even some of the other like companies will have other versions of it. But basically just um what MagMod does, what Honol does, again, very similar purposes. It just lets you with Honol, I have a Velcro strap that goes on the head of every one of my flashes so i can use um barn doors i can use grids i can use um like filters on the flash itself to to or gels i guess rather um so i can use all kinds of different accessories on it just to kind of help shape and and move the light around a little bit yeah kind of modify it or get creative with different lighting yeah totally so yeah yeah i have a bunch of that stuff too again i've probably over the years accumulated a whole bag full of different doodads and right. thingamajigs and you know i have everything <laughs> from the gary fong's um light yep. diffuser to yep. i've got some westcott diffusers yep. i've got some of the honol product yep. um i haven't picked up the mag mods yet i only learned about them i think last year was the first time that i really saw them um they're cool they're basically like a rubber they rubberize they wrap around the head and then they have magnets in them and then you can attach the different um yep. inter- uh, modifiers to the front very easily with yep. the magnets so yep. it's kind of a cool system um for these one for the godox lights that i have now i mainly use i have a, a nice soft box that goes on it okay um that screws in and then i have there's some uh, just some reflectors that go on um or i have a number a number of umbrellas i also have some brackets so i can mount these and use all my studio soft boxes as well yeah, so cool. i don't generally bring those with me on a wedding day it's more right. umbrellas in the soft boxes or just the bare reflector right and then i'm just bouncing flash but that's kind of what i typically bring with me so it's the light stand the light you know, an umbrella bracket to mount it to the, to the stand. And then I have some clips that I use to, to mount and hook the battery pack okay. um, on to the flash. Cause one of the things I, when I first got these, as I was just kind of hanging the battery packs off of the stand and eventually the cords got kind of <laughs> stretched and then they got, one of them got kind of broken. So eventually I bought those some clips for like $10 that mount to the tripod or right. to the light stand. And then I could just hook the, the battery packs have a clip on the back so I could just hook it. So that it took the pressure off the yeah, that's cool. the cables and stuff like that. So that's kind of our lighting rig, and we'll set that up. And again, we'll pull it out. You know, we can pull it out at any time of the day, family photos mm-hmm. or at the reception or what have you. And pretty light, you can you know travel pretty quickly with it, and it's pretty easy to set up. Well, I think that's that's one of the things. If I can maybe comment on the idea of portability, right? I mean, I've seen I've seen a lot of photographers over the years that kind of catch the off camera flash bug. And then they kind of go all out and they get like soft boxes and this and they get umbrellas and all kinds of big things. And then I'll see them like try it because it's new at the first couple weddings. And then they end up just giving it up because they're like, it's too much stuff to carry around. Yeah. Right. So, so like my, my take on that again, just because I've been doing off camera flash for basically my entire career as, as a wedding photographer for over 10 years now, um, I, I actually don't bring around a lot of modifiers. I literally will just have the flash in my little pouch beside like in, in my uh i've got um a low pro bag um mm-hmm. or a think tank sorry um and we'll just have it in there and then we'll just kind of pull it out and i'll bounce it if i can or i'll just do direct flash or um, anything like that but for me on a wedding day and obviously it was twip weddings so we're talking a lot about weddings it's more about portability and ease of use ease of setup and speed than it really is about anything i mean Sure, I would love to bring around a giant, you know, eight foot softbox and mm-hmm. all these things and, you know, whatever. But if it takes me 10 minutes to set it up um, for me and for my style of photography, that's that's not really contributing to the customer experience for me. So yeah. um, for me, it's it's more about portability. I guess. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm the same way, too. Like I it, like like you when I kind of first delved into this and got into it, I, you know, I wanted to bring the kitchen sink. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and have everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it just takes for, you know, forever to set it all up. And the longer it takes to set up, there's people get, you know, tired of waiting around mm-hmm. for you to get. And in the meantime, the moment's gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You kind of the, the energy is lost out of, yep. the, out of the group. Right. So, yeah, now like we'll bring 
what we need to light the reception. Right. I always like to have at least, you know, three lights with me. Uh, sometimes, you know, I like the three point lighting um, at receptions, but also worst case scenario if one of those lights goes down. I can still function just fine with two lights. I, I know I can comfortably light a reception with right. two lights. So right. I always have that backup. Yeah. But during the day when we're moving about and going location, location or doing family photos, we usually just have the one light. It's all ready to go. It's on yeah. a stand, yeah. all connected, ready to go. Usually an umbrella. And then typically because I'm shooting with my wife, usually she's there to assist and help with the lighting, right. holding it. If it's a windy day, so right. it doesn't blow away in the wind. <laughs> um, you know, so it's good to have an assistant. I think if you're going to get into that, it's helpful if you have an assistant. Yes. It's definitely a little more work if you're trying to do it all yourself yeah. and do off-camera flash because then yeah. you have a little bit more to worry about. And, you know, so so you want to keep light and nimble. So, yeah, we just have one, everything all set up on one of those stands and yep. good to go. So we can just grab it out of the car and away good we go. go. Yeah. Plus, I'm getting older and I don't like caring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My back can't take care of Plus, how many flashes have you forgotten laying around? I know I've done that many times when it's just me putting off camera flashes around and I'll like leave the park or whatever and uh, be like, oh, I forgot a flash behind the tree that I left there. <laughs> yeah, I haven't forgotten a flash. Oh, no. But for okay. the first time this year at New Year's, when I second shot a New Year's Eve wedding, I yeah. left an umbrella behind. I forgot oh, it. Really? I took it. And we took it down partway during the reception and I laid it on the floor. Right. And then, I don't know, I just didn't see it in the dark and grabbed the light pack up at the end of the night and forgot the umbrella. Realized it the other week. I went to unpack stuff and I was like, ah, I'm missing an umbrella. Oh, right. I was yeah. like, oh, I know where, I know exactly where I left it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, well, it's a $15 umbrella. Yeah. I'm not going to sweat it. Yeah, much, exactly. So. But um, yeah, so we try to keep fairly light and nimble. Cool. So what about at receptions then? So what, how do you like, how do you set it up typically at receptions? Do you set up two, three, four lights? Depends on the venue, I'm guessing. Yeah, it totally depends on the venue. Um, my opinion on this, in fact, it's really interesting. I taught a workshop two years ago, all, just about, it was four hours, just about reception off camera flash. Uh, and we actually did it in a venue. So it was really fascinating because we actually lit it as if we were the, the guests at the wedding. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, really it's, it's, you have to look at the size of the room, right? I mean, if it's, if it's, a small room, you're obviously going to need less flashes. I don't like to overpower the room, but also I like to set up my flashes at the beginning of the night um, before, you know, people are in there and things are happening where I can basically blanket the room with the same quality of light, regardless of where I'm photographing in the room. And yeah. that way, when speeches are happening, I can be shooting speeches. And then if, if someone cries or if someone comes out and does like an air guitar for one of the, the games or anything like that, I can just move around very nimbly without having to like change things and adjust settings and chimp on my camera, that kind of thing. So I, I like to be very quick and on my feet. And so I usually blanket the room um, with, with many flashes so that I can shoot anywhere. And yeah. I do that. Um, usually I'm around th like minimum of three flashes. Um, I've done up to five flashes on some of the bigger halls. If there's like a 300 or 400 person wedding, uh, where I've got to reach a far distance on it. But I set them up um, on stands on the edges of the room and I use barn doors and I point them towards the ceiling to get some bounce off the ceiling and then back down. And I mm. sort of look at it um, like you can look at the sort of angle of reflection and say, well, if it hits up that way, it's going to bounce back down this way. And uh, I'll kind of set it all up that way. And I use the barn doors at the bottom so that there's no spill coming directly from the flash hitting anybody, which will then create really harsh shadows. Instead, I want that soft light coming off of the ceiling and bouncing down. So that's how I set up off camera. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah we do something similar. Um, you know, I'll go in and kind of assess the room. Yep. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the first things I'm looking for is where can I put the lights that they're not going to be in the way? Right. Um, that's usually the first kind of challenge is, is finding a spot where they're not going to get tripped over. Um, one little tip is I like to bring uh, bungee cords. Um, and if call. I can, if there's something that I can secure the light to, I will use bungee cords to try right. to secure the light. Because inevitably, I don't know if you've experienced this, but no matter where you put a light, you can put it in the farthest corner of the room where nobody else is. And that automatically becomes the place where everybody goes and gathers. It's like a light. It's like a, they're like moths. They, <laughs> they just gather, especially children. <laughs> Nothing makes me more nervous when I'm at a reception and just all the children are like, playing the chase game right. around yeah. my light stand yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like makes me give me the heebie-jeebies but so i usually try and find a place where it's going to be out of the way right but still be you know giving me that broad light across yeah. the whole room so no matter what where the action's happening i know that i can kind of i've got an area covered yeah um i like to light kind of i figure out where's the podium yeah where are they going to be speaking and then which way are the bride and groom and the bridal party going to be looking 
And I like to put a light off to the side, kind of almost behind as a bit of a rim light. Okay. Behind them. Right. So that there's some, just some, again, a bit of separation, a bit yep. of, just adds a little bit of drama to, and then, you know, more uh, forward light on where the, the speakers are going to be. Right. At the podium. And then I might adjust my lighting later, maybe at the dance floor. I might turn things a little bit or, or move them slightly for the dance, depending right. on what the room is set up and like. But that's what we typically use. Usually a three light setup, yeah. two to three light setup. I think the like the most reception. important thing in all this is like you're 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 looking at it's not just like you're kind of jumping in, throwing a flash up, hitting the ceiling and hoping that it does the right thing. It's like you're you're looking yeah. at the room and I do the same thing, right? It's like I've learned over the years that I can walk into a room and then quickly assess just because I've done it so many times. And a lot of the venues I'm going to the same place too, so I'm familiar yeah. with them. But yep. it's really about getting in, assessing the light, assessing where people are. Um, I, I also always look at like where are the most important tables, which is usually the family of the bride and groom. Yeah, I want to make sure that I've got really good quality of light there because I want some great reaction shots of grandma, of mom and dad, of things like that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's about getting in and being intentional about how you're setting up your lighting so that you're going to get the best shots you can in the moment. And so you don't have to think about the light, but instead you can just be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we do all our test shots. So we have all those outtake photos of, you know, me yeah. or my wife, yeah. you know, <laughs> at the podium yeah. smiling or in the middle of the dance floor doing your pretend fake dance. Yep. We've all got those photos, yep, right? Exactly. But we'll, we'll map all that out ahead of time and know that, okay, for dance, we need it here. And this is the power. And again, like you say, when you're at similar venues, you get comfortable and you get used to where, you know, where to light it or right. you learn, right? You right. learn the next time, okay, I'm going to light it a little different because this didn't work or that didn't work. Right. So, right. And then you just, again, it just, I think it just, the more you do it, you just become more comfortable with it. Yeah. And then it just becomes just a natural thing. When you walk into the room, you sort of have a good idea. Just yeah. like when you first started in photography, you exactly. didn't probably understand aperture and, you know, shutter speed and ISO, right? And now it's just second nature. Hopefully it becomes second nature and you don't have to think about that. You right. can focus on the moment. The same thing I find with off-camera flash. Those first couple of times you're, you're right, you're thinking about it, but you want to practice as much as you can before yes. if you're going to start getting into this. Don't leave it till the wedding day to experiment i think yeah or you'll probably not be happy with your results mm -hmm. um you know so definitely experiment and, and do all that before you actually get into a real wedding situation um i guess last question I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could probably talk about in terms of settings and yeah. things like that but you know that probably takes down a whole other rabbit yeah. hole um <laughs> what about just on-camera flash are there times when you use on-camera on flash and if if so kind of how do you get the best quality from that yeah totally i i use it actually for the the dancing after the first dances okay so kind so of the party photos the, the party dancing yeah, yeah. I, I do use that because um for my typical reception lighting it it brings a certain um brightness to the entire scene right because i want to be showing environment i want to be showing emotions things like that whereas for me for the dancing shots the party dancing shots i want that kind of darkness that that sense of chaos i want to see the lasers and the lights from the dj booth coming through and yeah and i kind of want to separate the busyness on the dance floor from the subject the person i'm photographing who's on the dance floor if i lit everyone the same i would see you know 20 heads in the showers i would kind of want to more see just one shot or one right. head rather so i use on-camera flash but i bounce it so okay. i usually um i'm either bouncing to the to the left of me or to the right of me depending on where i'm at in the room if whatever walls i guess kind of closest to me um, and if there's not a wall that's close to me, then I'll bounce kind of backwards around 40 degrees behind me that way. Yep. And and I usually use that on TTL. So I'll usually shoot around 1 60th of a second, um, usually around F, you know, F 2.8 if I'm using a 2.8 lens or, or 1.8 if I'm using like a 1.4 lens um, or F2. Um, and, and then, yeah, I'll use, I'll use the TTL on usually minus like one and a third stop. And that way it's not overpowering. It's not very like deer and headlighty, but it just right. kind of creates that nice little glow around the person I'm photographing. It'll give some direction if I'm hitting the walls beside me or if I'm hitting backwards. But then that one sixtieth of a second will still introduce the lasers or the lights that the DJ has, some of the lights off in the background, the scones on the walls, things like that, so that I can kind of pull in some of that darkness, some of that warmth into those party shots. Right. Yeah, that's what I do, too. And so for those who are getting, you know, kind of new to this, basically, the first thing you, you want to do is you want to establish your ambient exposure. Yep. Right. That's where a lot of people get confused is when you when you, once you introduce flash, you're essentially introducing two separate exposures. Yep. 
And so your camera is going to give you your, um, ex- you know, the ambient exposure. So you want to expose for the room again, like, like, uh, Brian mentioned the DJ lights or the wall lights, or if they've got, you know, those really nice big, um, twinkle lights or the, you know, a lot of venues now are doing those, um, those older style filament type bulbs, yep. you know, they look kind of retro and cool. You want to see, you want to draw all that in. So that's what your exposure, that's what you're exposing for first in camera. Yep. And then your flash is what's going to then add the light and expose your subjects. And that's, you know, again, a great example of, of where you might use the TTL features. And that's when I would pop a flash on my camera too, typically is, is during that party time and, and catch some of the party stuff yeah. um, as well. Awesome. Yeah, so very good. One thing to keep in mind if you are bouncing your flash, keep in mind uh, color casts <laughs> yeah. uh, can play a role. I know we have a couple of venues in the city here that have like wood brown roofs. They're, they're fairly low. And so if you bounce off those, everybody's orange. Right. And I actually love so, that. Um, not the orange look, but I love um, there's a few venues here that are like older barns and that kind of thing where you'll get a super warm bounce if you use it. And mm-hmm. so I, I photograph everything that I do in Calvin white balance. So I'll okay. bring down my Calvin's. There's some venues here where I have to end up shooting at like 2900 Calvin, which is like crazy, crazy cool. Um, yeah. But what that does is it makes the subject a proper color temperature. It makes everything else around them kind of go cool, which actually mm-hmm. has this really, really cool party feel to it um so sometimes that looks cool sometimes if it doesn't look right then i'll just put a gel on my flash when i'm bouncing it right yeah or black and white or black and white yes i always work black and white call creative you're good to go that's right yeah Yeah. crappy light black and white (laughs) (laughs) awesome Good stuff. Well, hopefully that um, gives, you know, our listeners uh, a bit of a insight into, you know, off camera flash and how we work with it on the on the wedding mm-hmm. day. Um, certainly, if you have additional questions, feel free to send, yeah. us, send us a question. If you'd like us to go in, in depth in, in, you know, in a particular topic on a future episode, let us know. We'd be happy to uh, happy to do that. Um, ask a question on Facebook. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I mean, you've taught I know you've done an entire course on on off-camera flash right yep. i teach uh, teach a weekend workshop here right in, so in the city. i mean yep. you probably have 20 hours of content that obviously we just squeezed into 45 minutes yeah i've, I've done yes. longer yep. workshops and like i said i did a whole four-hour reception workshop and we just hit it on it in five minutes yep. if anyone has questions wants us to go deeper wants us to you know wants to clarify something like jump on over to the facebook page let's get some discussion started over there and so if you want to kind of bounce around ideas get input um, ask us to clarify anything um i think that would be a really great place for our listeners to go and and you know ask us to dig a bit deeper into areas they want us to dig deeper yeah cool and maybe i mean i'll talk to dave and quinn and maybe we can get them on at some point in the future episode yeah talk to them about how they how they do that because again everybody's different how they do it right just like every photography technique People, the way people work with off-camera flash is very different. Yep. So it'd be yep. great to see. Maybe we can get uh, them on in a future episode. So. Awesome. Very good. All right. Let's move on quickly then to our uh, listener question and our picks of the week segments because I've got a few minutes and then I got to buy um, Sting and Peter Gabriel tickets go oh, on sale nice. in a little while. So yeah, <laughs> I was pretty excited when he's coming to town. <laughs> so um, let's answer a listener question. We haven't done one for a little bit. So yeah. this week, um, you know, each week we choose a listener question to answer on the show, or at least we try to every week. Um, this week we got a question from Dave and Dave says, uh, and it's very timely. Uh, he said he recently took a workshop and was told that every photographer should own a light meter and know how to use it do you use light meters on the wedding day and if so which one do you use and when do you use it mm-hmm. mm. i use the light meter of my eye which the is a horrible, your brain? horrible answer <laughs> um listen i i think i think light meters have their place i think they definitely have their place today in a uh, industry where we so quickly just you know, rely on the fact that we use digital cameras to uh, as a bit of a crutch. I think a lot of photographers do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, having a light meter so that you can understand what's happening with light and what's happening with exposure and what makes sense to learn these things, I think is really, really useful. Um, I also think that eventually over time, once you become comfortable and familiar with photography, um, a light meter is perhaps less useful. And I also say that very um hesitantly because i know that light meters have a huge place in studio photography so i guess depending on what you're doing but being that this is this week in weddings i would say that to have a a light meter with you on a wedding for me and for my style of shooting which is very fast-paced and very quick and very photojournalistic 
it just doesn't make sense because things are moving and changing so quickly on a wedding day for me to constantly go and do light meter readings would just be kind of difficult. Uh, but what's, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I'm this, you know, I, I think I probably share the same sentiment as you. Um, I definitely think a light meter is an important thing to, to know about and to understand. Um, I, it's a part of my class when I teach both studio lighting and off-camera flash and I introduce light meters and get the students working with them again more so that they can start to understand what is the light doing right um, I think one of the biggest things that can be confusing is particularly once you start getting into multiple lights like it's, right. if you're just using one light yeah you can you could take the shot you know chimp look at the back of your camera right you know and adjust accordingly and, and maybe get by without a light meter but as soon as you start getting into multiple lights that's where it can start to get a little bit more tricky. Right. Um, and if you really want to know and have a good understanding of what's going on, I think knowing how to use a light meter will help. Yeah. Do, do I pull one out on a wedding day? No, but I have it in my bag if I need it for some reason. Right. But I, again, like you, after, after years of doing this stuff, you get to be a, a pretty good at judging mm -hmm. it and reading it. And you, you get to know your lights mm -hmm. um, very well and, and the power output of them. So yep. it's not critical. But I would say if you're just getting started or if you're doing, I still pull it out when I'm doing studio work. If I'm lighting stuff and I'm in the studio and I, you know, it's just for me, it helps me get to the end result a lot quicker right. and more efficiently. Right. Particularly if I'm under a time crunch, um, you know, I'm shooting a CEO or something like that. And I've yep. only got 10 minutes to get my lighting yep. dialed in and set up. Yep. I don't have time to fumble around and look and adjust and look and adjust yeah, and totally. look and adjust and take 10 test shots. I need to be able to say he walks into the room, you know, the, the second shot first or second shot's got to be okay we're, we're now we're going to start making right making magic yeah, right exactly so I'll, I'll use a light meter in that situation you know i know other photographers like um zach and jody gray they like to work with the light meter a lot during the day and even on a wedding day um but again they're probably so experienced at it now i don't know how much they would still do it day to day because they probably know their stuff pretty well and have right. a pretty good feel for right. it but you know i know when, when they're teaching stuff they often uh, you know will incorporate the light meter so right. i think it's an important thing to know and to understand yeah, exactly you know but do you need to have it on the wedding day you know yeah probably not but it's good to have one and to know how to use it exactly yeah so and the, as far as a model i mean this the the Siconic l358 is kind of the the, the oldie but a goodie the industry um, standard it's never let me down yeah. there's fancier ones out now they're a touch screen and all this stuff and me <laughs> I've, me have you ever used any of those ones that go on your iphone no i haven't yeah i haven't tried them either they're like 20 30 bucks i i don't know how good they'd be right hey if you got extra 20 30 bucks burning a hole in your pocket yeah Give one a try and Give let us know how it goes. <laughs> but yeah, you can get a, you can get one of the Sekonic L358s for a couple hundred bucks. Cool. Um, you know, I always tell my students, wait till like April when the photography students graduate from the local college. And there's usually three or four of them on Kijiji. Hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, hopefully that answered Dave's question. And of course, if you have a question for us, uh, just head on over to thisweekinphoto.com. You can ask us a question by leaving a comment on the blog post or uh, send us a question on Facebook um, or email us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. All right, let's uh, wrap things up with our picks of the week. So each episode, we will share a photography related item that we think would benefit wedding photographers. Our picks can be anything as long as they are somehow related to photography or the business of photography. And yes, sometimes we do stretch that, but that's okay. Brian? Yes. What okay. have you got for us? I, I'm this so excited week? to talk about this because I've been waiting a long time to talk about it. Um, since the later part of 2015, um, because as listeners probably know, I'm a Fuji X photographer. Um, mm -hmm. I got not a, an X photographer, like, not, but not like an like X, a, like EX, but like yeah. that's what they call their, their ambassador, their, their sponsored photographers right. they should rethink that that doesn't they probably should <laughs> yeah yeah i guess like when, you, when you say it it kind of <laughs> sounds yeah. a little bit weird <laughs> um but uh fuji film uh, sent me a pre-production uh x pro 2 camera Ooh, that had to be I was reading like about this all secretive day. and i had to put black tape around it and everything because no one could see it and i got to photograph it with it for a month and a half two months um with very early version of the firmware and like it's again lots of tweaks and stuff they've made since it or since they've they I had my pre-production model um I just had to send it back yesterday which is really sad but I'm I'm oh. uh, yeah definitely going to be picking one up because it was an amazing camera um for anyone that the Fujifilm um X Pro 1 which is their first sort of 
um, entry into the market with with the X series was the sort of um, it, it was like their main their flagship camera, right? It was a rangefinder style body. It was nice and big. It was beautiful, like big. When I say it wasn't as big as an SLR, but it was a nice feeling body, and and a lot of people really connected with it. But it's like I think five years old or something like that. Like it's, something like that, yeah, about four, four or five. It, yeah, it took a while, um, and and you know since then they've released the Fuji. XT1 and they had done the Fuji XE1, the XE2, the X100s and they had never touched the X Pro line and a lot of people are super loyal to the X Pro line because it's a rangefinder style body and it's a bit bigger than the smaller XE2 and the XE1. So yep. um it's a great body. It it makes beautiful images and they really listened to um photographers in making this. In fact, it was really interesting for me because um last fall of 2013 14 um fuji flew me down to new york to have a meeting with the fujifilm japan team to brainstorm about this camera and they had a bunch of mock-ups they had a bunch of different ideas they wanted to hear about us ex-photographers and what we have to say about it so i got to have input on the x-pro 2 and some of the ideas that we had and all that and they totally listened to us based on what photographers are looking for little idea that they had is um on the back of the x-pro 2 there's now a little joystick to choose the focus point so instead mm, of trying nice. to use the thumb pad to like, you know, click next or, you know, up, down, left or right, it's a little joystick and it's really easy to use to choose your focus point. So little things like that that make um, that make your life easier and the workflow simpler when you're photographing are really useful and helpful. So, um, yeah, I love the X-Pro2 and that is without a question my pick of the week. Excellent. Very nice. Yeah, I was just we we covered them on Twip this week. Cool. Uh, which hasn't aired yet, but, but, uh, will, and that was one of the topics. And yeah. so I was doing, in doing the research for that show, right. I was reading all the new announcements yeah. from, from Fuji and it's like, Ooh, that looks, I had an X 100 at one yes. point in time. Yep. Um, and I really liked it. It was a beautiful little camera and it was my, my goal of, it was going to be my like pack around travel camera, yep. my pocket. That's camera. what I use mine for. And then I just, it wasn't getting much love. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't finding myself using as much as I thought I would end up using it. It sat on the shelf a little bit and I eventually ended up selling it um, just because I just wasn't using it enough, but I really liked it. It was, it was a great, great camera. Um, I just, again, wasn't using it enough to yeah. justify, you know, keeping it yeah. on the shelf. For me, I use my Fujis like at weddings. Like I use them in my, yeah. my work. Um, I use it for probably 70 to 80% of my wedding work. In fact, something I've, I'm like, my not claim to fame, but I'm super excited about this, but I photographed the first wedding in north america with the x pro 2 so that was ah, kind of cool i photographed it back cool. at the beginning of december and i brought it and it was kind of risky because it was a very early version of the firmware um and it was a pre-production model so it did freeze sometimes and that kind of thing but i took a risk yeah. and i loved the images i made with it so it was kind of fun oh, cool yeah excellent yeah that's exciting yeah there's some exciting stuff coming out i'm waiting to see what canon's got up their sleeve mm-hmm. i'm hoping we'll my fingers are crossed i'm hoping <laughs> nikon just released the d5 yeah the the specs on that looked amazing yeah. and then the price on that came out and that looks with amazingly it's high amazing <laughs> with the us dollar exchange yeah. again yeah. so i don't know we'll see canon's supposed to be announcing a follow up to the 1d 1dx right so we'll we'll see and probably a 5d mark 4 yeah. i would expect sometime yeah, soon so cool. we'll see wait and see what they've got up their sleeve awesome Anyways, good pick. Well, my pick um, is sort of related to today's topic a little bit. Um, so back last year when I was at WPPI, I picked up, I ordered the the new version of the Ice Light. So Jerry Guionis's uh, invention, the Ice Light version two, uh, I picked it up and uh, finally got it last August. They had some production and some shipping issues, so it took some time to get it in my hands. So I I missed a good chunk of wedding season using it, but I finally got it in August last year. And uh, it's a pretty cool um, light. It's uh, no pun intended. It's it's daylight balanced, Um, but it's uh, it's very handy. It's very it's a portable light. It's an uh, it's a constant light. Uh, It's got power levels. You can dim it. Uh, It's fairly bright. And it works good. We're, we're using it a lot now to shoot details. So we'll pull it out because it's really, it's, it looks like a lightsaber. Um, so it looks cool and kind of badass to begin with. Um, <laughs> so, but we can pull it out and it draws a lot of attention. People ask about it. Uh, it's a fantastic selfie light. So when people, like I'll have it on me and when I see people off doing selfies somewhere, I'll go, hey, let me help you out. And I'll pull this thing out and I'll light the people and they'll be like, oh my God, the light's amazing. And Thank you, you have you to make so the sound effects too. It's like, zoom, 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 zoom. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah. it works good for that. Um, the first place I took it to was down to a destination wedding in Mexico and they had their reception outdoors at night. 
And we, obviously we were traveling. We didn't have a lot of off-camera flash, so it worked perfect yeah. to light up, um, you know, the party shots and stuff like that. So it was really, really good. Uh, awesome. I love the uh, the ice light. Awesome. So it comes with us. In, it's in our bag. It's one of our tools in our toolkit that we'll pull out and gives us some good light. Awesome. So that's the ice light. Again, we will link to all the pics and things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Sweet. And I guess that brings us to the end of another episode. We've reached the end. It's the end, Brian. Mm-hmm. What will we do? Oh, no. We want to, you know, thank our listeners and our sponsors for their support. And, of course, remind you, send in your questions and comments for the show. What uh, what have you got coming up in the next little while? And where can people go to find out uh, what you're up to? Well, we guess depending on when this goes live, but we Sprout Studio will be exhibiting at WPPI this year, which is going to be pretty exciting. Very um, cool. We will be at, or I'm speaking at WPPI. I'm speaking at Shutterfest coming up in April. Mm-hmm. And we're also exhibiting at Canada Photo Convention in Vancouver. Excellent. And then I'm speaking again in Toronto at the Canada Photo Convention. So had a couple little educational things happening there. Um, as always, we've got spreadingphotographer.com, which is our educational hub for everything to do with the business of photography. And uh, we have Sprout Studio still running and still we have a New Year's promotion still running right now. Hopefully by the time this goes out, it's still on. But um, for anyone that's interested, they can use the coupon code Fresh Start Monthly to save 20% off their first three months of Sprout Studio. Fantastic. And if people are looking for your fabulous photography work. Yes, right. Me as a photographer. So uh, bcapphoto.com. B-C-A-P photo.com. There's two P's in there. Awesome. Good stuff. Again, we'll link to all those great sites. Sweet. In the blog post so people can find you and follow you and stalk you on Instagram and all that that good stuff. Good stuff. Well, if you're looking for me, I too uh, will be, I'm going to WPPI next. That's the next thing I've got coming up. Um, planning working on a on a styled shoot right now at the Ice Castles. Nice. So they've they built the Ice Castles in Edmonton this year. It's a really cool location, and so we've got a great team we put together. We've got florists and designers and guys suits and gowns <laughs> and all kinds. So we're doing a, a nice styled shoot in uh, in uh, coming up soon. WPPI, and then I'm also going to be at CPC Canada Photo Convention Woo-hoo. coming up in April in Vancouver. So that's going to be fun. Very and cool. then. Um, and then it's wedding season, basically. It'll, it'll kick in. So we hibernate. Or yeah, we hibernate so we hibernate. We're, we're like bears. Yeah. So we kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're sitting around getting fat and chubby right yeah. now. And then we'll, we'll come out of hiding and, right. and begin shooting. So looking forward to, to awesome. that. So cool. So, and if you're looking for me, you can find me over at my website, which is momentsindigital.com. And uh, all the social networks, I'm at Bruce Clark with an E at the end of Clark. And again, be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com for this show and all the other great shows on the TWIP network. Thanks again for listening to TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time.